Hey everybody, Charlie here. I just want to point out that thanks to the new sponsorship for the show, I'm moving the show over to Libsyn, which you'll hear mentioned at the end of this episode. However, I want to point out that there are now new RSS and iTunes feeds for the show. You can find the links to both in the show notes at the various sites that the show is posted on. But if you don't want to go through all that, you can subscribe to the new feed on iTunes by just looking up Superman of the Bronze Age. And due to my amazing brilliance, both feeds have the same name. But to differentiate, the old feed shows an image of a silver Superman S on a space background for the image, while the new one is a lot more colorful and is an image of Superman flying, holding a copy of Action Comics number one. Uh, also, to help, uh, for now anyway, until I can get things migrated over, this episode is only going to be the third item posted on the new feed. So that'll help. But anyway, um, I plan to add episodes to both sets of feeds until the end of October. After that, new episodes are only going to be going to the new feeds. So please make sure that if you want to subscribe to the show and not miss any episodes, that you switch over to the new feed. So having said all that, here's the show. Gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. The Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend. Featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman Golden Age Superman The Superman Fan Podcast Superman in the Bronze Age From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast Superman Forever Radio The Superman Vidcast The world's best podcast And Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com As well as the audio dramas Superman, Last Son of Krypton And Supergirl, Last Daughter of Krypton from Pendant Audio Production. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, J. David Weeder, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co-host Scotty V. at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, who battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman. Hey there, everybody. And welcome to episode 27 of Superman in the Bronze Age, the only podcast covering Superman's adventures from 1970 to 1986. My name is Charlie Niemeyer, and today we're going to take the Wayback Machine and return to 1972 to see what shenanigans Superman was getting into in the comics with the July cover date. First, though, Superman in the Bronze Age is sponsored by InStock Trades. InStock Trades has over 13,000 individual trade paperbacks, graphic novels, and hardcover titles in stock and ready to ship at great discount prices. And most orders ship within 48 hours, and orders over $50 ship for free. 
This show is also sponsored by My Digital Comics, an up-and-comer in the digital comics marketplace. My Digital Comics provides fans an, an affordable option for their comics and offers titles in PDF, CBZ, and page flipper formats, offering titles from publishers like Boom, Dynamite, Top Cow, Ad House, Tomorrow's, and many more. My Digital Comics Association with DCBS and in-stock trades does more than just provide readers with an immediate opportunity to own either digital or print versions of some of their favorite titles in the format that they want. It brings them at the price points they want. You can find My Digital Comics on the web at www.mydigitalcomics.com. Uh, as you may or may not know, DC Comics has a little side event going on right now uh, called DC Retroactive, which involves telling new stories set in particular eras of DC's publishing history. The last couple of months have seen stories featuring Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, and the Justice League in stories that took place in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Now, when these stories were first announced, I was asked if I'd be covering the Superman stories that are supposed to take place in the Bronze Age. The answer is yes, I do plan to do so. And I think I said that back then too. But I'm not going to do that yet. You see, the 70s story is written by Martin Pascoe, and he wrote that story specifically to fit in with his run on Superman, which doesn't actually occur until the late 70s. And the 80s story by Marv Wolfman appears to also be taking place well in the future, in the, well, in the 80s. Uh, apparently somewhat near the time of Crisis on Infinite Earths. So my plan is to do a full review of both of those issues when I get to where they would most likely take place if they had actually, actually been published in those eras. Um, or in those years, however you want to put it. Uh, but what I will go, do, go ahead and do is... Uh, give you guys a quick spoiler-free first impression of the 70s book, since I actually have that one. Um, I haven't gotten the 80s one yet. It should be coming by the end of the month, though. Uh, let's see. Uh, personally, I thought the book was okay, but it wasn't great. Uh, Pasco did do a good job of making it feel like a story from the, from the 70s, and he used the caption boxes and thought balloons to great effect, which you don't really see in new comics these days. Uh, but many of the story elements seem to be ripped from stories that actually take place later on in the Bronze Age, which I can't mention because I haven't gotten that far in the show. Uh, the art, however, was actually really terrible. Eduardo Barreto usually does a really good job on art. Um, and even if you look at the cover of the issue, it looks really good. Now, I don't know if it was because of the inker or if he had to rush through the art due to a short deadline or something, but it's very subpar for him. Uh, plus, everything looked pretty modernized instead of looking like they were trying to uh, mimic the 70s. Uh, the GBS building looks different. Uh, the clothing looks a little more modern. Uh, plus the fact that they decided to color it as if it were a new issue instead of either trying to mimic the old method or just leaving things kind of flat like the reprint of the back of the issue uh, helped really kill the whole feel that Pasco seemed to be going for. That's that story. As for the reprint, I don't mind the uh, that they chose the story that they did. I mean, it's a good story. In fact, I'm, I'll even let you know, it's the uh, story Superman Takes a Wife, 
which involves basically it's the Earth to Superman marrying the Earth to Lois. And what, what the thing that irritates me, though, is with all of the great Superman stories from the 70s, the powers that be chose a story featuring the Earth to Superman. And this story itself was a retro story since it was drawn to look like it had been from the 50s. And um, I noticed similar things in some of the other retro issues. If they weren't doing that, they actually selected uh, stories that were part one of a multi-part story. But, you know, there isn't a part two included with it because they're only reprinting one story. And that just irks me since there are currently no plans for the rest of those stories to be reprinted. Yeah, uh, so while I like the story in the back of this issue, I wish that they had chosen something different. There are plenty, even some of the stories that we've gone over here, uh, and many more that I haven't yet, there are plenty of 70s Superman stories that they could have picked. I understand probably why they chose that one, but I wish they had chosen a different one. But enough with the negativity. Um, I have an email I need to pull up real quick. This email is from Steve Rogers, who writes, Charlie, just thought I'd drop a line on a few things. Uh, seems like even with the new writer the and new age, the Olsen stories are still filled with kooky, wacky stuff that made the Silver Age stories so memorable. I agree with that. Uh, also, did you read the DC retroactive Superman in the 80s? I'd recommend doing it for your podcast just before diving into your crisis coverage. Not sure where the 70s one would fit, though. Nice Marv Wolfman story in that 80s, uh, in that 80s one. Well, yes, uh, as I just mentioned earlier, I do plan on covering it when I get that far. I'll probably have uh, a report on that issue uh, in a couple of episodes. Uh, let's see. Finally, can't wait for the hostess ads to start showing up. But you must get Messrs. Bailey and Gardner to come on and record them. I would love to do that, but right now I'm not sure that they, either one of them has would have the time to do that. They both love those doing those ads, and they reenacted several of them um, on Tales of the JSA. So I was at least going to see about trying to get some of those to play when I get to those actual ads. Uh, but I'll see what I can do about getting to do that. That I mean, I think that would be cool. But and there is plenty of time if they start now. But anyway, all right, that's all for right now. Loving the new God story, though I wonder if Kirby always did intend to bring Superman into it. I know he picked Olsen because it was a book that wasn't doing well, but it was more intentional. But was it more intentional on his part? Basically, Olsen would be a good place to reinsert the Newsboy Legion and such, as opposed to any other low-selling book. Signed, Steve. I agree with that, too. Um, I don't know how much he intended to bring Superman into it, although I would imagine that since he knew he was coming to DC Comics, um, and at the time Superman was their biggest selling uh, feature, I would imagine that he did have some kind of plan to cross, the, uh, to cross Superman over with the New God stuff at some point. He may have done a little bit more work with Superman than he had originally intended, thanks to the Jimmy Olsen issues. But yeah, he probably planned at least Superman to be a uh, crossover with them at some point, maybe even the Justice League, but I'm not, I can't quote, don't quote me on that. So now that I have stumbled through that email, uh, I'm going to play a couple promos for you guys from a couple of fine podcasts. Podcasts? 
from a couple of fine podcasts. And then I'll be right back with the first book of this episode. After these messages, we'll be right back. Born to humble beginnings as the infant Kal-El on the doomed planet of Krypton. You'll travel far, my little Kal-El. But we will never leave you, even in the face of our death. He was sent to Earth in the planet's final hours, landing in the cornfields of Kansas where he was raised as Clark Kent by a kindly couple. And there's one thing I do know, son, and that is you are here for a reason. With his super strength, flight, and desire to help mankind, Clark moved to Metropolis to become a mild-mannered reporter, but he was secretly much more than that. Easy, miss. I've got you. you you've got me? Who's got you? here to fight for truth and justice in the American way. A strange visitor from another planet with a bold destiny on ours. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. A hero with no equal. The Man of Steel. Superman! And in 2010, a man created a podcast... A podcast that became an institution. And now, prepare for season two of Superman Forever Radio. It's a bigger, bolder season as we start down the road to New Krypton. Join me, J. David Weeder, as we conclude Camelot Falls and Last Sun. See Superman fighting in the 31st century alongside the Legion of Superheroes. Face down one of his greatest and oldest foes. And lose somebody close to his heart. Shudder at the coming of Atlas. Brace yourself for Final Crisis and the return of a hero. Gasp as the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight take on the Undead and the Pharaoh, all leading up to the climactic finale that will have us at the edge of New Krypton. Plus, Superman the Movie Commentary by yours truly, a Superman Christmas special, a year-end Best of Spectacular, special guests galore, a Superman Requiem special, Plus, in our episode-by-episode coverage of Superman the Animated Series, the world's finest battle their arch-foes. Nix's Pitalik debuts to rake chaos in the animated debut of Bizarro. Prepare yourself for something like you've never heard before. All of this and more as Superman Forever Radio begins its second season. You can find it on iTunes, at the Superman Podcast Network, and at supermanforever.com. Remember, Superman Forever Radio, where it's true justice forever presenting superman all right superman number 254 with a cover date of july 1972 was released on may 11 1972 for a measly 20 cents with a lovely uh actually pretty moody for a superman comic cover by nick carty and this cover uh it features superman uh with lightning flashing behind him and his cape billowing out and kind of surrounding him, with young Billy Anders standing in front of him, with Superman saying, From this moment on, Billy Anders, I bequeath all my superpowers to you. So I guess that kind of tells you what's going to happen in the story, doesn't it? Huh. Anyway, the title of the story, of the main story of the issue, is The Kid Who Stole Superman's Powers, written by Denny O'Neill, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Murphy Anderson, and of course edited by the great Julie Schwartz. The story begins with Superman flying up to space to investigate an unknown spaceship orbiting the Earth. 
Inside, he meets the Cleth from the planet Belmount. After explaining that they come from peace and have a rather familiar mission... It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. The captain offers to summon a refreshment for our hero. Despite the doctor's protest, the captain proceeds to push a button that, rather than bringing Superman a tall, refreshing glass of milk, bathes him in some kind of eerie energy. When Superman asks about it, the captain explains that it was just a slight accidental discharge from a subspace generator, which I guess makes sense. Uh, perturbed, Superman decides it's time to leave and heads back down to Earth for an important meeting. In Metropolis, Superman arrives at a hospital to visit young Billy Anders, who has recovered enough from last issue's incident to head home. Superman learns from the doctor that Billy's mind has been transferred into the lynx cat, and that if they are separated, Billy becomes a vegetable. Since Superman is so awesome and trustworthy, I never lie. he's allowed to take Billy out of the hospital for a little sightseeing. During the trip, Billy makes a request to see Superman using his super strength. So Superman lands where some boulders have brought a halt to some road construction. After offering his assistance, Superman punches one of the boulders, but feels some kind of force strike back at him at the same instance. After a few more punches having the same effect, uh, he decides to use his Sunday special, and, which does shatter the rock, but also sends Superman reeling. On a hunch, Superman leaves Billy with the road crew and heads back up to space, figuring that his condition might have something to do with the energy that the cleft blade... bathed him in. Unfortunately, the ship is gone. But in its place is the cleft doctor, abandoned to space by the captain for trying to interfere with his plans. Superman grabs... Yes, by the captain. Uh-huh, that's all right. Superman grabs the alien, heads back down to get Billy and his cat, and then they all head to the Fortress of Solitude. Inside, the good doctor explains that Superman was actually linked to a reflector warp that will warp any force of Superman exerts right back at him like a boomerang, effectively making his super strength useless. He also reveals that while his crew's mission was to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. The captain turned renegade and now plunders worlds for their radioactive materials to sell to warring planets. But the doctor has an idea of how to help Superman. So with the Man of Steel's help, he builds a psionic transferal unit. And after some debating, uses it to transfer Superman's super strength to Billy. All Superman has to do to get his strength back is picture Billy's cat in his mind and whisper the word, links and he can now use super strength without that boomerang effect after testing this superman's international radio monitor alerts superman to an unidentified object floating over the united nations building which as superman correctly determines is the captain and the rest of his crew so superman flies off to new york demands that the captain and his crew leave and after once again picturing billy's cat and whispering links takes out the whole crew, and sends the ship flying away with enough force to go past Jupiter. Certain it won't return, Superman returns to the fortress and its current occupants, wondering how this will affect both his life and Billy's. Alright, first of all, I have to say that I have never liked this idea behind this, uh, the idea behind this issue. Superman's super strength being given to Billy, therefore making Superman have to recite 
the cat's name to get it back makes it seem like they're trying to turn him into a Captain Marvel without the lightning, or like a cheap knockoff. Uh, it also leaves way too many questions unanswered. Well, that doesn't, but the story leaves way too many questions unanswered. For example, does this mean that Billy now has super strength when Superman isn't using it? Why didn't Superman arrest the captain and his crew and put them in one of in one of the many interplanetary prisons for his crimes instead of just sending them away to cause havoc elsewhere? Why would Superman be okay with transferring his strength to a kid he barely knows instead of possibly a fellow Justice Leaguer? Uh, but aside on the plus side from that, uh, this issue has once again saved by some great artwork. Now the fight scene wasn't too dynamic but it still works for me and I also kinda chuckled as an Easter egg with the crew's uh, to go with the crew's mission statement one of the sound effects used when Superman is punching that boulder is Spock which was pretty cool um, this issue has not been reprinted for obvious reasons I guess and um, so I can't tell you where to find that uh, now there is a backup story in this issue now, a glimpse at the man behind the mild-mannered facade of the Gentleman Reporter. When he's not being the mighty Superman, what is he being? For the answer, treat yourself to this tale in a series that shows the drama, the excitement, and the humanity of the private life of Clark Kent. Alright, the title of this story is The Baby Who Walked Through Walls, written by Lynn Wein, with art by Neil Adams. Yes, I did say Neil Adams, one of the few Superman-ish stories he draws, since, technically speaking, Superman doesn't appear in costume in the story. Now, this story has been reprinted, and it showed up in Best of DC 25 from June of 1982, and in DC Universe Illustrated by Neil Adams hardcover from 2008. Now, in this story, Clark is about to head out for an interview when he's stopped by his neighbor, Petra Lewis, who needs him to watch her little daughter, Michelle, while she runs out for a few minutes. Why she can't take her, I have no idea. Before Clark can put up much of a fight, though, she's out the door, leaving him to babysit. So Clark calls up his interview subject to apologize and let him know that he's going to be late. And, but when he hangs up and turns around, Michelle is gone. He searches all over the apartment, but is unable to find her. Following an old Sherlock Holmes saying of, once you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be true, Clark is led to believe that Michelle must have somehow left the apartment. So deciding that it wouldn't be good for Michelle if he used his X-ray vision, because remember, in this era, he actually projected X-rays from his eyes, uh, he decided to do some de detective work. He determines which way she has gone by spotting the mysterious Mr. Xavier's newspaper laying down instead of leaning against the door, meaning she must have kicked it over. So he, he follows that. He follows the path and hears a baby talking in Mrs. Goldstein's apartment, but it turns out just to be her grandson. So Clark makes his way to the end of the hall and notices that someone left the stairway door open. So he looks down and sees something at the bottom of the stairwell and races down at super speed, thinking that Michelle has passed, has died. But it turns out to just be Michelle's Raggedy Ann doll. Well, he doesn't say it's a Raggedy Ann doll, but if it looks like a duck and is colored like a duck, I'm going to go with it. So at this point, 
Clark gives up his detective work and decides to just do the superpower thing and moves at super speed, looking for Michelle in every nook and cranny of the apartment building before finding that she is actually back at the apartment and sitting in the chair she was sitting in at the start of the story. So in order to solve the mystery of how she got out of the apartment, he pretends to make another phone call. But this time, he catches the toddler as she's about to exit through a previously unseen doggy door. Soon, Petra returns, and he informs her about the doggy door, and then rushes off to his interview. And I didn't write a review for this in my notes, so I'm just going to have to wing it. Um, basically, I thought, well, first of all, I love the art. Uh, Neil Adams, especially in the 70s, uh, is probably one of the best artists I can think of on any comic. Uh, I love his style, the realism, just the way he makes the characters look. Clark looks really cool here. He's wearing, uh, for the time, up-to-date outfit. Basically, he's wearing a suit, but instead of a button-up shirt and a tie, he's wearing a turtleneck, something they did that back then. He does a good representation of him using his superpowers, although I believe this is probably the first time I've read a comic book in which super, in which Clark uses, ran through a stairway at super speed without actually changing to Superman at some point or back again. The story itself was actually pretty interesting. I didn't understand how she got away either, although I did look carefully. And you can't see the doggy door in the door at any other part of the story until near the end where you actually see Michelle use it. Uh, which, so in other words, I have a problem thinking that neither Clark nor Petra ever noticed this doggy door. But again, this story had to fit, what, seven or eight pages? So I can give a little. But yeah, so I thought that was a good story. And there's no world's finest comics this month. So uh, play a couple more promos, and we'll get to the final issue of this episode. After these messages, we'll be right back. This is the voice of the randomizer. Do you hear me, Earthman? You gave me your numbers and forced me to pick one. For that, you must face the consequences. Each week, I will make you review a random comic book. Do you hear me, Earthman? A random comic book. Yes, each week on the 20 Minute Long Box, I submit myself to the powers of randomness and review a title from my collection, completely at random and all within 20 minutes. It's the Super Compressed podcast for the decompressed, written for trade age. Join me, Steve Lacey, each week at 20minutelongbox.libsyn.com. Or find me on iTunes. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. Superman. Homepage.com
Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. All right, Action Comics number 414, again with a cover date of July 1972, was released on May 30th, 1972 uh, for, again, a measly 20 cents with another cover by Nick Carty uh, featuring Clark changing to Superman, but we see Superman in the background. Strange? I would say so. Uh, the title of the main story is Superman vs. Superstar, written by Carrie Bates with art by Kurt Swan and Murphy Anderson and edited by Murray Boltonoff. And we begin the story at the zoo, apparently. At what appears to be the end of a Superman adventure, as Superman confronts an escaped criminal named Farley, who is shooting at the Man of Steel. Suddenly, a tiger runs right at Superman, growling. Superman gets scared and mentions that this wasn't in the script and calls for help. Fortunately, from out of the sky comes a red and blue blur, which gets between the tiger and the scared hero. You see, we're at Man of the Studios, where they're filming the latest Superman movie. And the scaredy cat is Gregory Reed, who has become famous for trying the Man of Steel on screen. But instead of thanking the real Man of Steel for saving him, he just goes off to his trailer in a huff, where he grumbles about loathing Superman and being typecast as the Man of Steel and plans to use black magic to get revenge. The next day, and a scene that seems to have been added because the story was two pages short, a bomber with faulty detonators speeds towards Metropolis carrying two atomic bombs, because one just ain't enough. After the pilots eject, Superman defies the laws of physics by abruptly halting the jet using only the tail fin. The bombs continue forward, however, due to their momentum, so Superman does something with the plane because it appears to just still be hovering in place. Anyway, he grabs the bombs and flies them up, up, and away into space where he detonates them. Meanwhile, Reed, in full Merlin gear, performs a spell asking for a way to get the superpowers that are rightfully his. He's given a magical branding iron and marks his hand with a pentacle of power. That night, after concluding his newscast, Clark gets a call from Mr. Reed, asking him to have Superman meet him about an urgent matter. So that night, after concluding his evening patrol, Superman arrives at Reed's estate to see that the actor is in full Superman gear. Reed apologizes for the way he acted earlier and offers his hand for a handshake. When Superman accepts the handshake, both men are surrounded by an unearthly, uh, by unearthly sparks and supernatural mists. When the light show ends, we learns that the we learns. When the light show ends, we learn that the minds of both men have been switched. Super Reed then begins to tear the Superman costume off of the unsuperhero, revealing that the actor's body was actually horribly disfigured in an out-of-control fire on the set of a previous Superman movie, which he of course holds Superman responsible for since the only reason that the fire started was due to them trying having to reenact or reproduce one of Superman's super stunts. Suddenly, Reed's house begins to crack up because Super Reed doesn't know how to control his new body's super mass, meaning that the house is crumbling under its weight. While Super Reed just stands there and panics, the ex-Superman gets trapped under a falling beam. At this point, he notices the pentacle of power etched on his hand. So, thinking quickly, he offers to help Super Raid save Super Raid. I cannot talk. 
He offers to help Super Reed save his home if he will take his hand and save him. At this point, Reed's estate falls off the cliff it is usually situated on and crashes to the ground, but not before Superman flies out carrying Reed. Superman offers to help correct Reed's condition if he'll accept his help, which Reed does by giving him a handshake with the other hand this time. And you know, I really enjoyed the way Carrie Bates characterizes Superman. In this story, Superman acted like a confident hero who acts based on the years of experience he's accrued since he first started his career at the age of just eight years old. And there's no hesitation and no second guessing. And I like that in Superman, because that's the whole point. He's supposed to be the best, well, as far as DC Comics, he's supposed to be the best he there is at what he does, which is being a hero. And granted, he doesn't do it a lot in the pre-crisis era, but I don't like it when he does, the second-guessing and hesitation. I know it's human, and it kind of makes sense for the post-crisis Superman to do that sometimes, since, you know... He's only been doing the superhero thing for 10 years at any given time, or give it a couple months, give it a few weeks from when I'm recording this, and he's only been doing this for about five years. But in this era, where he's eternally 29 years old, he's basically been doing this super, had his super career for about 21 years. So he really should know what he's doing. As for Reed, at first, he kind of reminded me of the stories I've heard and read about George Reeves as far as how he felt about being typecast and resenting the character of Superman. And his name is even close enough for me to think that it was somewhat of a homage. This will not be the last time that we see the character either. As for the story itself, other than the few things I pointed out during the synopsis, this was a pretty solid story, and I recommend checking it out if you can find it because it's never been reprinted, so you have to find the issue. Now, I have found the issue. I don't own it, but I have found it. And the um, reason I don't own it is because most places I've found it for in any readable condition have it for between 7 and 10 bucks. Now, if you want to spend that on an old issue, that's fine. Uh, personally, I prefer to wait until there's a sale. That's just me. Metamorpho, metamorpho. Metamorpho, metamorpho. This is the story of the element man. Metamorpho, metamorpho. Starts out in old Egypt land. Metamorpho, metamorpho. Rex Mason was his real name. Metamorpho, metamorpho. A soldier of fortune didn't care about fame. Metamorpho, metamorpho. Until fate took a hand in the game, what a change, so strange. Alright, so, final story for the issue is Fade Out for a Freak, starring Metamorpho, supposedly. And you'll see why in just a second. This story is written by Bob Haney, penciled by John Calvin, and inked by Murphy Anderson. And picking up where we left off last issue, while Ulysses Bronson is busy giving Simon Stagg a gun-pointed tour of the Morality Mountain, Metamorpho is dissolving in a vat of acid, trying to keep Sapphire Stagg and Stagg's Neanderthal butler, Jova, safe. After showing Stagg the anger, envy, and sloth exhibits, 
The pair end up at Lust, where Bronson shows Stag a statue depicting him over a crying woman named Genevieve Terhune. Apparently, she went to college with the two of them and was in love with Simon, but he never returned that love. In Bronson's mind, she settled for him and died soon after. Even though medically the cause was a fever, he believes that it was due to a broken heart, and this is why he has done all this to get back at Stag. They then get to a final exhibit, where Bronson plans to cover Stag in liquefied ore and make him the final statue. Stag pleads with him for one final request to see his daughter one last time. So back in the waiting room, where Metamorpho is dissolving in the vat of acid, Stag sees the other's predicament and after saying his farewells to his daughter, starts dropping clues in his goodbye to Metamorpho that leads the hero to change his molecules into sodium hydroxide. This causes the acid to be neutralized, and also gives Stag the opportunity to knock Bronson out with a powerful sock. Full of spit, sorry. As the cast leaves Morality Mountain, Stag claims to be a changed man before exhibiting Creed. Creed? <clears throat> As the cast leaves Morality Mountain, Stag claims to be a changed man before exhibiting greed, pride, and envy in his plans to reopen Morality Mountain himself after the statue faces are changed, of course. Now, this was a pretty fun story. Even though not much happened compared to last issue, I thought it was a pretty satisfying conclusion to the story. Personally, though, uh, this seems more like it should be called Simon Stag and Friends instead of Metamorpho. Maybe that'll change in future issues. I certainly hope so. All right, so I'm going to do a couple more promos, and we're going to look at the ads for the for this month. After these messages, we'll be right back. You are cordially invited to attend a podcast that observes the unfolding events of history. Come with me and observe the birth and growth of a legend. From the pages of a 10-cent pulp comic book to the newspapers, radio program adventures, theatrical films, and more. Witness the dawn of the superhero. Superman. Available on iTunes and at goldenagesuperman.lipson.com Every legend has a beginning. Boys and girls, your attention please. Presenting a new exciting radio program featuring the thrilling adventures of an amazing and incredible personality. Faster than a speeding bullet. Thrilling Adventures of Superman, a journey through the golden age of the Man of Steel in comics, radio, and film.
available at greatcrypton.com. All right, this month's ads, several of them are actually the same as last month, so this should go a little quicker. Uh, we have the three-wheel rumbles, rumblers from Mattel again, uh, but this time we also have a lovely ad with the Daisy Air Rifle. If you think it just looks real, wait till you shoot the thing. And sure, it looks like a real rifle, but they also do a lot of other stuff. And if you buy it now, you get a $4 trap target kit for just $1.99 when you buy this or any other Daisy Air Gun. So that's really cool if you like shooting small targets. Uh, let's see, we have another weight training ad. There should be fewer ads this time since we don't have as many pages. Uh, we have a direct current, which I'm not going to get into because I'll be covering that when I do the elsewhere. Uh, then there's also the note about why the comics are only 20 cents now, uh, which I read last time. Uh, there's an ad in here for the next issue of Superman, believe it or not, uh, which will be the sun, feature the son of Superman. That's S-U-N, before you all think that there's some weird thing. Plus a fabulous world of Krypton story. So that'll be cool. But that's two episodes for us, because, of course, next month will be Jimmy Olsen. Then there's one of those fun page ads where you get all kinds of things uh, for really cheap, like weighted wristlets, a Raquel Welsh pillow, and as it says here, what man wouldn't enjoy spending a night with Raquel Welsh? Well, we can't deliver her, but we can deliver the next best thing, a 12-inch by 24-inch inflatable pillow of Raquel made of rugged vinyl to serve as your headrest. Keep her for yourself or show her to your friends. Livens up a party when everyone sees and feels this great gag item. Why would you feel it? Wow. Anyway, uh, you can get a seven-foot Frankenstein monster, uh, x-ray specs, magic cards, a surprise package, muscles of steel, smoke cloud, uh, skinhead wig, a moneymaker, secret book safe, jackpot bank, a silent dog whistle, see behind glasses, Joy Buzzer, Monster Ghost, Hot Pepper Gum, Onion Gum, A Secret Spy Scope, uh, Learn How to Be a Ventriloquist, A Phony Cast, Learn Karate, The Worm Trick, Sea Monkeys, and 1,000 Free Gifts for 50 cents. I don't know how that works. Uh, we have uh, Roger's Super Skittle Bowl, because if there's one thing you know Roger Staubach for, it's football. And if there's one thing you know about football players, it's that they are very much also known for their ability to play skittleball or something. But apparently, this is Olympic-sized skittleball is what it's called. And this doesn't look anything like Roger Staubach. This doesn't look like real kids. And the art in this is pretty terrible. And I don't think Roger Stahlbach, who at this point, uh, I believe, has at least won a Super Bowl, uh, probably would not be wearing a torn shirt featuring his number. Uh, let's see. Next we get back to the, that goes back to story. Uh, we have another page full of small ads. You can get a dune buggy. So learn how to be taller. How do, you, how do you learn how to get taller? Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, after the Metropolis mailbag, uh, which didn't really 
have any notable things. Um, let's see. We have an ad for two cool-looking things. We have uh, apparently Laurel and Hardy. You've seen them in the movies. You've seen them on the TV screen. Now they're here in fresh, original, rocking stories. DC Comics All New Stories Best in Comics presents Laurel and Hardy, the funniest comedy team of laugh getters in the world. And uh, and they draw it in a fashion where instead of trying to do to actually capture them looking in real life, it's very much a caricature. I don't know how long this will go on, but I it's pretty interesting considering it's the seventies and I wouldn't think they would have done that past, you know, the 50s or 60s. There's also superhero stars now in super paperbacks. Each exciting book features two famous adventures, the ones impossible to find in original comic editions. Don't miss them today. Buy both books today. And basically, this is the two paperbacks that they're showing are Green Lantern, Green Arrow uh, books, and I'm guessing they cover the first, the both books together cover all four issues. Which is actually really cool. And the shipping is only 10 cents per copy. So, yeah. And they're also available wherever paperbacks are sold or order direct from the publisher. Then, of course, we have a. You can either buy a bunch of army men with an exploding bridge that blow apart right off the river with two forts, or also the naval version of it with a tank. And giant battlefields and aircraft carriers and stuff and let's see the inside back cover features that infamous story where we have the girl and the really skinny guy with sand kicked in his face the big bully with a with a gut says get away and the girl decides that he doesn't like she doesn't like the skinny guy anymore so he learns the Charles Atlas method for getting muscles and later has muscles and goes back and beats up the guy, and now he's the hero of the beach. Yeah. And then, of course, the back cover features the same um, Mattel monogram quality hobby kits with the snap-tight construction with the construction equipment that looks like it's been souped up on Pet My construction equipment. So that's the ads. Uh, elsewhere in the DC Universe this month, or should I say the DC Multiverse, we have Laurel and Hardy number one. So I guess it did make it for a while. Well, <laughs> I don't know if it made it for a while. Let's see. <laughs> yeah, this is the only issue. So we get Laurel and Hardy number one, but it's the only one they're going to do. Our Army at War number 247, which apparently has a knight in shining armor meet Sergeant Rock and his... Easy go. We have Wonder Woman number 201 featuring Wonder Woman versus the Catwoman. And what is the Fist of Flame? And it also features the incredible I Ching. Yay! We have Falling in Love number 134. And because it doesn't have as many, uh, as many things happening in it, I have no idea what's going on in here. But apparently you can make yourself over. Read a man for Marsha. Make it, make it, make it. Ghosts, number six, which has an interesting cover. That, that lady's really bony. Uh, Teen Titans, number 40, 
featuring the Teen Titans being taken to an underwater cavern by a guy who looks like a miscolored merman from He-Man. Ironically, the only... Oh, no. He, is he there? Looks like the only Teen Titan missing from this story is Aqualad. Who'd have thought? Uh, we have our Fighting Forces number 138. And it looks like the losers are about to get hit by a Nazi sub. We have Phantom Stranger number 20, which features the Phantom Stranger in Shadow only. But this issue, is the cover anyway, is by Jim Aparo and looks rather nifty. We have Young Romance number 184. We have Korax, Son of Tarzan, number 47. The second DC issue. Second? Oh, that's right. Tarzan's a separate book. Never mind. We have Mr. Miracle, number 9. Uh, featuring You've Never Read a Story, like Hyman or something. Uh, we have The Forbidden Tales of the Dark Mansion, number 6. And it looks like some people are about to enjoy their wedding in a castle with a lot of demons. Yeah. Ours by Alan, Alan Weiss, though, so that's pretty nice. Uh, we have Dare You Enter, The House of Mystery, number 204, which has a really messed up cover by Bernie Wrightson. And messed up in a good way. I don't mean, like, a, a bad way. Yeah. Uh, we have Strange Adventures number 237 featuring an Ernie Chan cover. And uh, apparently these, the uh, Empire State Building has legs. We have Jimmy Olsen, or Superman's pal, I should say. Jimmy Olsen number 151 featuring the attack of the locust creatures. We have Wanted, the world's most dangerous villains, number one. Uh, which actually just reprints some old stories. Uh, a Batman story titled The Signalmen of Crime. A Green Arrow story, with, uh, which is the crimes, of, excuse me, the crimes of the Clock King. And a Green Lantern story featuring the menace of the giant puppet. Which is one of his first stories, I believe. Young Love, number 97. Uh, we have Girls Love, number 171. And Lois Lane, number 124, featuring Lois look like, looking like, uh, wow, she's looking pretty buff in this one. She's apparently going to be, wants to be, the, is going to be the queen of uh, African tribe of some kind, and is supposed to kill Superman. And this time, unlike the last few issues where we've seen Lois tied up, this time Superman's tied up. So, you know, just for a change of pace. We have Weird Word Tales, number 6. Featuring a bionic soldier. That's kind of actually cool. Heartthrobs, number 143. I was, I was helpless and hopeless and stuff. And, by the way, these art, these, uh, I don't know if they, again, I don't know if they really wore these things, but in all of these love issues, yeah, the outfits are really wacky. Uh, Superboy, number 188. Featuring Superboy as the Super Savage, Master of Metropolis. Plus the Legion. 
and the Curse of the Blood Crystals. Yes, yes, yes. We have Unexpected, number 137. With actually a pretty cool-looking Nick Cardi cover. Simple, but effective. Uh, we have Adventure Comics, number 421, featuring Supergirl versus Demon Spawn. And also a Satana backup feature. We have Detective Comics, number 425, with a nice Bernie Wright's Batman cover. Looks pretty cool. It looks like he's going to uh, go up against the haunted, well, haunted carriage. Uh, and also a new series is introduced, the Master Crime File of Jason Bard. So that's cool. Uh, Tarzan of the Apes in its fourth DC issue. It's Tarzan number 210. With a Joe Cooper cover. And finally for this month, we have Weird Mystery Tales number one, featuring a Mike Kaluta cover. And that's pretty it. Pretty much it. If you want to see a lady in purple with a bunch of arms coming up out of the floor, that's the issue for you. And that'll do it for this for this week. Um Thank you again for downloading this episode. Uh, next episode, we're going to switch back to Jimmy Olsen and get two more issues of that book covered before jumping back over to Superman again. So, y'all take care, have a good week, and here's Angie. Thank you for listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network at www.fortressofbailey2.com slash supermanpodcastnetwork where new episodes are posted weekly. Episodes are also posted at superbronze1970.lipson.com and supermanhomepage.com. You can also subscribe to this show via RSS feed and iTunes. All images, characters, and music used in the show are for entertainment purposes only. No money is made by the show. Superman is created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Thank you for listening, and God bless. Superman is also a copyrighted feature, appearing in Superman DC Publications.